0: Hello? Hello?
1: It's all around us. Hey everybody, what's up and welcome back. By the time you hear this show, it will either be Thanksgiving or it will be after Thanksgiving. Despite my best efforts, I could just not get this show together in the couple of days that I had to put it together. I was having computer issues and my editing program was just acting really screwy and weird. But uh, this week, we have returning guest Moxie LeBosch on here from the Your Brain on Facts podcast, and I also have returning friend and good co-host when he's on here. I'm sorry, good friend and co-host, I should say, Eric Wojciechowski. Eric Wojciechowski writes for Skeptical Inquirer magazine. He has several great books out there on the topics of UFOs and written from a fictional standpoint, of course. And uh, he's just an all-around fun guy. But when I had Moxie on here last time and I said, yeah, I'm going to get her back on, Eric insisted that I bug him anytime that she comes on here because he just loves talking with her. This episode, we go into a bunch of, uh, well, the history of Thanksgiving, um, actual facts and falsities. We go into some disasters having to do with various Thanksgiving Day parades and floats going awry and causing massive destruction. We go into uh, the topic of how the first conversation between American natives and Um, Settlers was about beer Um, A few other weird things This is kind of an off-the-wall, quirky show that we put together You know, because, hey, it's Thanksgiving And hopefully, I normally wouldn't say something like this If all goes as planned, this will be a Thanksgiving That we will all look forward to forgetting Because of all the craziness with the virus and the election All that fun stuff So, let's just jump into the show And uh, if anybody doesn't know it yet I have another podcast that I'm also a co-host on But I will go into that at the end of this episode Here we go So back with us this week is Moxie LaBouche. Am I saying your last name right? I always say it wrong. Is it Moxie LaBouche or LaBouche or? LaBouche. LaBouche. Moxie LaBouche LaBouche. from Your Brain on Facts. Last time you were here and you brought up Hyena Docking, it was a tremendous success. Very much talked about um, through the Twitterverse, uh, Facebook, and people that I know that listen to the show. Um, And it was like, well, I did say I was going to have you back on at some point or another. The trick was, is do I want to have you on here for Christmas or Thanksgiving? Being that Thanksgiving is going to be weird this year, as well if Christmas was as well, I figured I would bug you to come back on here and talk about all things unusual, strange, and odd about Thanksgiving, because you seem to be a treasure trove. I don't know, weird information, probably because of your podcast, Your Brain on Facts. So welcome back, Moxie. I am excited
0: to be here. And I, I do want to say that for anyone who is not familiar with the episode that I was on last time, hyena docking, nowhere near the topic. I was actually on to talk about end of the world prophecies and we somehow ended up on hyena pseudopenises.
1: And that was what made it amazing because it was so out of the blue. Like it was just so, so out of, out of right field. It was like, okay, well we're here. Let's, let's roll with this. Let's, let's take this and actually go somewhere with it and see where it goes. And it was a lot of fun. And at that point, Myself and Eric were both like, we need to do this again. So here we are, um, which means that we're probably going to end up on clown porn at the end of the night knowing you.
0: (laughs) Chlorophyllia is the formal term for it. What is it called? Oh my God,
2: there's actually a term for it. That's extraordinary. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I mean, there's a phobia of it, so there must be a philia. Wow. Mm -hmm. I can't explain. I've learned something already.
2: Two minutes into it. Wow. (laughs) We're off to a good start.
0: So This is why I can't accomplish anything in life. All of the real estate upstairs <coughs> is already occupied by shit like that.
1: There's nothing wrong with that. That's, the, that's, yeah. that's a good problem to have. That's why you're here. So where do we start? Where are we going with this?
0: Well, I thought it would be good if we taught people about Thanksgiving, starting by just demolishing everything that they ever thought about the history of Thanksgiving. Because shock of all shocks, our elementary school teachers fed us a line. We got sold a bill of goods, just like with Columbus and, you know, the Civil War and everything else we learned about in American history class.
1: Belt buckle hats that the Puritans wore. The belt, All that, that is a
0: great place to start. Okay. Because that has as much historical foundation as horns on a Viking helmet. Both things were the creation of painters, of artists who thought that that was what looked good, you know, for the for the scene. Because black and dark gray clothing were reserved for going to church on Sundays, they wouldn't have been wearing it at a Thanksgiving feast because for the Puritans, who were Calvinists, Thanksgiving was a mass. It was a church service. It lasted all day and you didn't eat for the whole day. It was a fasting day. Uh So to be having a great big party with lots of food is definitely not happening on a Sunday. So they would have been wearing their normal clothes, which could come in any color that you have a dye available to make. And... Metal buckles are a hell of a lot more expensive than just leather laces. So leather laces and leather belts were preferred. And I don't know what the buckle on the hat was supposed to do anyway.
1: Yeah, I never quite got that. And the uh, stereotypical picture of everybody holding blunderbusses for hunting rifles, uh, the Indians all sitting around, or Native Americans, I should say, sitting around with everybody eating at the same time. That I know of from what I have read. I don't think turkey would have been the main dish that would have been served from what I understand?
0: First, we have to isolate which first Thanksgiving we're talking about, because typically we're taught that the first Thanksgiving happened in 1621 in Plymouth in Massachusetts. But as early as the mid-1500s, there were occasions of Europeans arriving in the New World and having Thanksgiving religious service with an accompanying feast and sometimes the natives in the area would join them for this. It happened in twice in Florida in the 1500s, and in Maine and Popham, Maine. I'm trying to remember the year, but earlier than the one that we think of as the first Thanksgiving. So the first Thanksgiving was neither first nor Thanksgiving. Discuss. Okay. I, I went down? Well, I forgot why I went down that road, but I'll um, oh, probably about the, the Native Americans. I did learn something really uh, interesting in this research. Actually, I learned it on QI and then I started researching it further. When the Plymouth natives first made contact with the white colonizers, which just sounds so much more villainous than colonists, they were, let me swap my verbs, my nouns around there. When the the white settlers first made contact with the natives of the Wampanoag tribe, they were approached by a man uh, who had been called Somerset, that wasn't his name, but that's what they called him, who walked up to them And in English, asked if they had any beer. That was their first contact uh, with the Wampanoag in 1620. They walked up and asked him if he had any beer? He walked up and asked them in English if they had any beer. They did not, sadly. Um, And he had learned English from sailors who were habitués of the waters around Maine but didn't settle in, in New England. He came back a week later with someone who could speak English much better a person who we hopefully all learned about at some point in school, Squanto, who had actually at that point made six transatlantic voyages, which just is an insane amount for that period of time. It'd yeah. be crazy to do even now, because like he was kidnapped by a British ship and and taken to England and then he sailed back to America. He got kidnapped again by a different British ship who sold him in slavery in Spain. And then he got sprung by some friars and sailed back to North America, but landed in Newfoundland and realized it was too far to walk home. So rather than trying to find some way to sail home, sailed back to England, Lived there for a few more years before uh, booking passage with um, joining an expedition, heading to the New World and finally coming back. So six times Squanto crossed the ocean before the pilgrims ever met him. So he knew English well, and he was familiar with the customs of of europeans and he actually was able to broker a peace between the two groups that lasted for about 50 years
2: well and and back then wasn't a trip across the atlantic about three months one way
0: yeah yeah, yeah so half, six
2: times that's a year and a half just on the water yeah
0: yeah And they weren't uh, you're not exactly going to get a stateroom and no a there's no Lincoln bedroom
2: on
1: yeah. that, that's kind of that. I'm still stuck on the whole walked up and asked for beer kind of thing because it sounds so redneckish. You know, it's like. Uh, but isn't
2: that the actually like the best founding of America story? Like, hey, by the way,
1: you got it in PBR. <laughs>
3: Pabst Blue Ribbon. <laughs> <Are you kidding? laughs>
1: I was thinking Budweiser for some off the wall reason, but, but uh, yeah. Or Nettie light, hey dudes, or- you want to party? He got some beer. <laughs> So
2: so beer was actually like it's it's been around since you know written record since Samaria and Egypt and so forth like that. did the Native Americans have their own type of fermented brew of any kind a wine or so forth?
0: They did make a wine from birch sap in certain areas, and there were probably others interestingly, I just did an episode on uh, on liquor. <laughs> And spirits and things. And while I did look specifically into what Native Australians drank, I didn't really look into Native Americans, which is an oversight there on my part. So I'm not fully uh, – I don't have an answer.
2: You know, it's it's very possible, going back to what we were talking about pregame, that they had um, sort of a psychedelic thing that they added to a drink. Oh, yeah, they and had maybe- peyote. Peyote might have yeah, been more out west. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. But as far as pilgrims on the uh, northeast and so forth, uh, yeah, I'd like to know that. That would be interesting.
1: See, I can't see the pilgrims having wanting to do anything about that because, you know, Puritans, you know, all of that stuff. I don't. I can't see them wanting to be involved in any kind of alcohol or, or any of that sort of thing, like smoke of the peace pipe kind of thing. So,
2: well, this is this is where the trick comes in. You're sort of like, oh, so here you want to meet God? I'm going to give you this. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> All you have to do is drink it. You're going to throw up a little bit, but oh, oh wow! <laughs> in the oh. next six hours, you're going to see heaven. <laughs> okay, so well, we're-
0: brewing brewing would have started pretty soon uh, in North America because people coming from England were still accustomed to not being able to drink the water because. The average glass of tap water in London has been through nine other people. so and that's modern days. So when they came to America, even though it was pristine before they got here, um, they just continued their habits of drinking beer instead of water because the the brewing process calls for the boiling of of the water when you with the grains in it, so it's much safer to drink than water. And that, and that continued on. And, of course, they used the plants that they had at their disposal. And they would even make alcohol with uh, squash, squash and pumpkins.
1: The original first pumpkin beers. Yep. How basic. Some of them are good. Yeah, I, I do brewing myself, actually. Yep. I, I, I brew, make mead, and I also make moonshine. So where to now? What what happens after this?
0: Historically or in the conversation?
1: Either way. Not a, not a lot actually <laughs> happened
0: historically. That's another reason we shouldn't really think of 1621 Plymouth as being the first Thanksgiving, because they they had this feast and then they didn't have it again. Uh, what information we have about there concretely comes from one person's letters that have been found, which 220 years after the fact were printed in a, a book or a magazine or a newspaper or something. Um, and the The person who printed it referred to this meal as the first Thanksgiving, even though the word Thanksgiving was never used in the letter he was reprinting. So that is kind of when the mythologized Thanksgiving uh, actually started. It was um, Sarah Josepha Hale, uh, a magazine editor, and the woman who wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb, who was the main force behind campaigning several U.S. presidents to try to get Thanksgiving as a set national holiday, whereas individual states and territories, up until the 1860s, had been able to just decide for themselves if they had a Thanksgiving Day or not?
1: That's so. And well, then what brought it all about? Then what was this? What was the idea to just make this a holiday then? I mean at what point did everybody just say okay that's going to be a holiday now and we're going to create this big fictional thing about it you know because at that point it was you know it was just these two people these these two clans or or nationalities or whatever getting together and having a big meal and that was it because it probably wasn't thought of something that big at the time so who comes along and says we're going to make this into something bigger and we're going to make it into a national holiday and we're going to do all the, the, the cartoons with the people eating the turkey and, and all that kind of stuff. You know, how does something like that just come about out of nothing like that?
0: Well, the 1621 feast didn't exist in a vacuum. It was a, essentially a harvest feast, a harvest festival, which have existed in basically every culture for ever. You know, you were really super glad you were able to put up what looks like enough food for the winter. So we're getting to eat a whole bunch of it right now, which at least serves to help put some fat on you and and celebrate the fact that we've made it another year. So everyone already had harvest festivals. They had fall festivals. Um, England and Ireland had something called Harvest Home, which has all kinds of cute little tchotchkes around it um, and whatnot. So fall festivals and harvest festivals... Were always happening. It was probably the Civil War that really helped to raise the esteem of Thanksgiving, and it was part of uh, Hale's argument to help, you know, unify the country culturally by, you know, bringing families together for this Thanksgiving meal. That's part of how it came to pass that President Lincoln uh, set down Thanksgiving. He actually, though created two thanksgivings one the the fourth thursday in november but the other one was in august and i don't know if that one was ever i guess you'd have to decommission a holiday or something and i don't know if it was ever decommissioned or if it's just sitting there on the books not being celebrated
1: i've never heard about this august one
0: i reckon it was something to do with you know what was going on at the time kind of Big war yeah. situation.
1: It was essentially the same concept for a holiday. We're all just going to get together and have a big, big feast or whatever, and celebrate and
0: and to be to be thankful. You know, they were that part of it was still pretty, pretty big. Not like now where it is strictly about the food.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah, except much. for that
0: one moment where you go around the table and say what you've been thankful for in the last year. Ooh. <laughs> We
1: don't we don't really do that. So I, I've never recalled of anybody ever doing that, to be honest with you. But uh, so it this sounds, again, like another pagan holiday that was co-opted and just uh, repurposed for for whatever purpose, for the most part.
0: I don't know. I'd say if anything, it's come back closer to its to its origin with our modern secular um, approach to it except for the fact that you know now because we have mass transit around the across the country and around the globe we have a consistent food supply all year which you know we that is what we should be thankful for the fact that we could do you know turkey and 18 side dishes any week we chose to we're not subject to the weather as much though i, I gotta tell you though the COVID has really fucked with the grocery stores uh I, i'm Back to working retail again, sadly. And I work in a grocery store, and it's just there's shortages all over the place on no notice. And it all tracks back to the pandemic. And I can't make people explain that. And, like, yes, there's no bacon. There was no bacon last time you asked me if there was any bacon in the back. Mm. There won't be bacon next time you ask me either. Yeah. And no, and like we were kept running out of strawberries while California was on fire. Yeah. Like, yes, we have to limit you to purchase one per customer because the friggin' state they came from is on fire. Yeah. We yeah, live in this time
1: of complete convenience where it's like everything you want is always available on demand. And now we're in a situation where we have to be cool to one another and we can't do that. And. It, like the toilet paper thing still blows me away, and it's beginning to happen again too. The whole like, yeah. we need to go out and buy as much toilet paper as humanly possible, even if we don't need it. We're just going to buy toilet paper, and we're at that step again. I guess which leads me to believe that maybe in twenty years or something like that, we'll have some kind of a national toilet paper holiday once you know once a year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah, or we'll bring back the tradition of teepeeing trees for Halloween. Yes, <laughs> What yeah, Go ahead.
2: Yeah, she was talking about, uh, you know, we we have food on demand and it's always here, right? Um, There was something that James Howard Kunstler had talked about back about 15 years ago called the Thousand Mile Caesar Salad. Um, You have your tomatoes grown in California. You've got your kale uh, in Brazil. uh, And there's all this oil being burned uh, and shipping to get you your one Caesar salad, the cheese, you know, and so forth. Um, What would happen if that was just all local? How much would you save? That's oh, and how probably- much and how
0: much could you could you source locally? Because yeah. we've fallen into monoculture, and all of the X comes from over here, but all of the Y comes from way over there.
2: Yeah, so you've got you've got a, a, the thousand mile Caesar salad because everything is coming from all over the world just to get you this one plate of food. But yeah, uh, when it comes to, like, Thanksgiving, sorry. everything had to be local.
0: Yeah, uh, there's a really good book by Barbara King Kingsolver, Animal Vegetable Miracle, where she mm. and her family try to, to just live on things that they grow themselves or that things that originated within, I think, 30 miles of their home for a year. And the chi- one of the, their children actually asked for oranges for Christmas. Because, and they couldn't get them, yeah. Because, well, they, they got them for Christmas because that was a Christmas oh, present. Yeah. But it, it also kind of makes you think about, like, picture of the victorian children uh with nuts and oranges and their stockings and being over the moon about it and like yeah if you couldn't get citrus fruit you would definitely save it up for a special occasion
1: i never thought about it that way before because now i'm thinking in my head i was like if i tried to do this and if i tried to just buy locally stored stuff up here in michigan it's a little bit easier. We have a chain of grocery stores up here called Meyer who does buy a lot mm-hmm. of their produce and things like that from locally sourced farms. And I think they do it primarily for a cost thing because it's cheaper. Plus, it supports the community, but it's cheaper to get something imported locally than it is to get like, you know, potatoes imported from wherever or something like that. <clears throat> you know, as long as the local fa- the local farms have a way of mass producing it and putting it out there to get it to these grocery stores, then that this chain will go along and, and, and try to get stuff locally like that. But I'm trying to think now as if like if I had to live locally sourced, I could probably do it. I don't know if it would be economically viable, but at the same token, how much of a variety of food would I have? You know, it's like, well, Michigan's known for its cherries, so we would have cherries and things like that. But after a certain point, you have X amount of food. These are the things that you can get locally from your from your local area or from your state or what have you and citrus is definitely not on that list neither are avocados and things like that so your menu would become very bland very quickly i would think you know
0: well not necessarily bland because you can always grow herbs and herbs can make a huge difference between painfully boring food to eat and you know a dish you really really enjoy so if you're going to get into gardening or you're going to try to source only local food start by putting in some herbs even even some basil just some basil can make you know whatever you've got taste a whole lot better
1: yeah i guess i guess i am kind of luckily lucky because like we've got eastern market in downtown detroit which is a spot um eric you've probably been there because you're local it has been yeah there's this market in downtown detroit where all of the local farmers and everything go and they set up every week and well they did until covid came along and shit all over everything but mm-hmm. you could go down there and you could buy directly from the farmers and stuff there was this lady that had this table it was just loaded with all these different kind of mushrooms it was really really cool and then you've got the locally like uh, the local butchers that buy their meats and all this stuff from local people etc and you could go down there and actually get like local made pepperoni and stuff so when you say basil it's like yeah i could still make pizza if i wanted to i could still do that there's people around here that still make local cheeses and things like that so i guess it wouldn't be that hard but i'm fortunate enough to be able to have that kind of a thing close enough by where i could go down and do that so I think
0: sourcing the wheat would be the hard problem
1: ah uh, yeah again up here in michigan i don't think so because we got a lot of meat uh, wheat manufacturers up here um Neither which has increased even more because Michigan has become a very big brewing state. Um, Northern Michigan used to be known for growing a lot of cherries and stuff. But now when you go up there, you've got a lot of hops farms and, and wheat fields because a lot of people in Michigan produce their own beer now. We're one of the big beer producing States. So people grow the, the, the wheat to produce the malt. And a lot of the local breweries in Michigan buy all of their hops and their malts and their wheats and stuff like that from local farmers. So it's, it's really neat. But, um, now the, the more I think about it, the more it wouldn't probably be that bad because we've got a lot of local dairies and stuff like that. I'm like, well, where'd I get my cheese? Where'd I get my milk? Where'd I get my cream? Where'd I get my butter? Yeah, there's places I could go get that kind of stuff. I can go down to it and get it, get that at Eastern Market if I want to. There's people that go down there and sell it. So, boy, did we take a right turn in this topic about locally sustained stuff?
0: <laughs> but, well, they're all and, important and, topics. Yeah,
2: yeah. Think, think about it. I mean, Thanksgiving was traditionally about locally. What can we eat today? Right. So how could we apply that today? Michigan's a pretty amazing state. I mean, we got all the fresh water, we got enough timber, we got all the farmland. We could make just about anything here,
1: except for citrus.
0: <laughs> except for citrus. <laughs> no pineapples. Unless it's in a hothouse situation. Yeah, that's true too. That's, yeah, so it it could
1: be done. It it is possible to be done, I guess.
0: But if you the, were really dedicated and willing to put like a thousand dollars into growing an orange.
1: But going back to like the retail situation, when someone goes into a grocery store to buy something and it's gone, they just go, why? Why? Why, why, cannot, why, why don't you have this? Why can't you do I don't this? have
0: the time or the crayons necessary to explain this to you, <laughs> the crayons. is what I'm saying in my head. Because <laughs> we don't have it. Why?
1: Because we don't. <laughs> oh, all right. So where do we go from here then?
0: Well, on the subject of food, we could talk about the things that uh, we think of as Thanksgiving food versus what is more likely to be historically accurate.
1: I'm Well, uh, let's start with the turkey. We should
2: start with the turkey.
0: Well, turkeys were not, they weren't like brand new concept for the settlers because turkeys had been in Europe already for over 100 years. So they were accustomed to farming them or hunting them and definitely cooking and eating them. But the turkey probably wouldn't have been the star of that show because the Wampanoag brought four deer to the to contribute to the feast, and venison was fancy special food back in England. It's the sort of you know put to death for poaching the king's deer kind of mindset there. So the deer were definitely uh, on the top of the podium on the winner in the winner's circle for that one. Uh, they would have had. You know, fall vegetables, any kind of new world foods you can think of. Pumpkin may have been involved, not in the form of a pie, though, because pies require sugar, which was very, very precious. Uh, Also flour and butter, which were in short supply. And an oven, which the settlers had not built yet. But pumpkins can actually be used as cooking vessels. You can cook soup by putting all the things in the hollowed out pumpkin and just nestling it down into uh, recently used coals or putting it next to the hearth. And it infuses the pumpkin flesh as well, so you can also eat the soup tureen. But pie would have been right off. Uh, cranberry sauce, again, no sugar, so forget about it. That wasn't happening. And people who like whole cranberry sauce, can you please stop shitting on the people who like the stuff in the can? <laughs> especially this year just let them have it and it, and you've got to confess you love seeing it come out with those perfect ridges on the side yeah nobody you know, doesn't like that I got to
1: interrupt you for a second one of the compliments that I got about having you on the show is you have this perfectly tonal <laughs> NPR-like voice, mm-hmm, and and mm-hmm. people really loved it when you would cuss and swear in that NPR voice and tone that you have. People, for whatever reason, just love it. So go ahead, continue. I just had to put that out there. Yes. It popped into my head.
0: I'm the sort of person who will use the words indefatigably and motherfucker in the same <laughs> sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, if you guys want to just, you know... If anybody wants to hire me to just swear a blue streak in my NPR voice, I do voice work now. Go to moxielabouche.com. Place your order today.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, continue. That would be a I'm fun so gig. I, I'd it drop everything be. to work on that gig, actually. It would be, yes. That would be great. Yeah, I did. I did re- Actually, I, I did receive that comment somewhere on Twitter or Facebook. I can't remember where it was, because when I put the announcement out that you were coming back on the show, especially on Facebook, people were very happy about it. They, you are a much-loved guest on this show by my oh. people. Um so yeah, back to the uh, conversation is about what foods they have. I had also read, like I was saying earlier, somewhere that lobsters back then were far plentiful. They would uh, they would end up on the shoreline a lot. That's not like
0: piles uh, of them. They say, yeah,
1: it's not like now where it's like okay, you know, it, this the, you're paying a lot of money to get lobster. Like back then, they were very very plentiful. So lobster would have been. They were considered a peasant food back then too. Like they yeah, would feed them Yeah, because they were so
0: stuff. plentiful. Yeah, and they wouldn't have known this at the time, but. Biologically, they're very close to insects. Mm-hmm. They're a lot closer to insects than they are to fish. Sea bugs. So they are the cockroaches of the sea. Um, they were fed to prisoners. Uh, they were fed to indentured servants and low class people who actually, at one point, went on strike to get a legal provision that their masters could not feed them lobster more than three days a week. And I, now, you know, wow. we pay
1: through the nose for it. I love lobster. Like lobster is one of my absolute favorite foods. And you're right. We pay through the nose for it. So I very seldom eat lobster. When I went up to uh, Connecticut, uh, my friend at the time took me out for a lobster dinner. And for them, because it's still it's still relatively common around that part of the country. But for me over here in Michigan, it's like, well, you buy them in frozen tails in the fr- freezer department. And they're not usually that good. And he, he's like, yeah, go ahead, get a lobster. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm just like. You know, I'm just like was mowing on this lobster, and now I'm part of a lobster cult on Facebook. Go figure. So, um, <laughs> I've heard of a oyster
0: cult. Granted, it was a blue one. No, but... I'll,
1: I'll sidetrack and tell this story. There is somebody who put a, t- a post up on Facebook. Created a Facebook group as a joke called "Plans to Create a Leviathan Overlord," because lobsters don't. They don't ever die of old age they die because they can't molt out of their shells anymore so somebody put this post up like we're going to take a lobster and just help it molt out of its shell and keep growing and growing and growing until we have a lobster leviathan I am 100% telling this story from truth that group splintered off into another Facebook group which turned into plans to eat the leviathan lobster god then that group split off into yet another splinter religion which is at war with the other two trash pandas united against leviathan overlord gods or something like that there's all of these different groups it's all of course it's all a joke religion um So this group grew within a span of like two weeks to like 50,000 subscribers or something like that. So this page is nothing but, okay, how are we going to present our religion? Is this going to be like a Christianity-based religion? Um, Is it bad that I go to Red Lobster and eat Red Lobster? Should we worship crawfishes as bishops to our Leviathan overlord? It's insane. Yes, you you should go. If you're on Facebook, I will send you the links to join these groups because I would
0: join any and all of these. Yes. Yes, and I I just the scientist in me just loves like is that could you do that? Could you just like help a lobster molt and how how big could it get? You
1: know. Yeah. So like one of my Facebook profile pictures now was the insignia of the lobster, and um, we don't refer to the lobster as our Lord. We refer to it as our our lob or lorb l o r b or something (laughs) along those lines. Um, and there's all these pictures of like people wearing lobster costumes and Zoidberg is of course all over the page, which I know you're a fan of Futurama. So well, obviously, yes. uh, yeah, Zoidberg is, is looked at as a saint in the religion. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, I'll just put that out there that I'm part of a lobster cult, but I'm also part of the other cults that are in, in direct response to the lobster God. So you can never have too many saviors, I guess.
0: This but, puts uh, the Pastafarian wedding I went to to shame.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm waiting for someone to get married under our Lord and Savior. that's another term that they use, our Lord and Savior. <laughs> so <laughs>
0: <laughs> they should crowdfund like a big group trip to Australia after COVID, because there there are in Australia a couple of um, at, there's at least two in the country. Giant metal or giant fiberglass lobsters.
1: Oh yeah, there's people. There's a couple in the the United States too. There's there's many people that make the pilgrimage to Mecca or lobster Mecca and have their pictures taken with the giant lorb. Yeah,
0: I'm learning so much.
1: Yeah, yeah. You you you. This is something that you both of you actually need to be a part of. I, I would highly recommend it to anybody that's out there to go and find these pages. They're hysterical, because people are now. It's gone from being this joke religion to where people are actually getting into legit arguments. Over the silliest things, like someone will post a picture of a blue lobster. There's a there's a a lobster out there that's half albino, half red and half albino. Um, and people want to, like, use these as, as certain saints or, or rugs or totems or something like that. And people get into, like, legitimate, like, real arguments over the stupidest stuff about this fake joke religion and a lot of people just sit back and nod their head and laugh at it because they're like yeah this is part of it this is this this makes it even funnier that people are really getting into real like drawn out fights about this stuff like Like, should we base this religion on a Christianity one or can't we start something on our own? Can we base this on Buddhism? Well, why does it got to be based on any of the other things? Why can't we just have this religion be this, this and this and not follow any other forms of tradition, which in turn turns into a real like religious argument? Like people will argue even over fake religions. Real religion. Yeah, that happens all the time. But people are now in here arguing over fake religions.
0: (laughs) Have you never been in a
1: Star Wars message group? Yes, yes, I'm part of several. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm <laughs> they've of been, that crowd. They've
0: been arguing over fake religions for a while.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now that it's I've basically, totally it's sidetracked basically
0: just another fandom.
1: Yeah, but who's fan you- of lobsters? Uh, well, you know what? The, the, the conversation I just had. So <laughs> anyways, we should probably return to Legends and Lore of the First Thanksgivings. <laughs> How
2: about we do Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? Uh, accident
0: yeah a nice or, a nice balance against the uh, the facts and maturity we've been working with up until now
1: <laughs> right
0: may my lord bless you
1: <laughs> may he be touched now, by now his you crustaceous got me thinking appendage about the
0: hitchhikers movie <laughs> what a fun mess that was oh the hitchhikers guide to the galaxy movie that people flip yeah. out about you can't
1: make a good I, I don't think it's possible to make a good Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy interpretation. I just don't think you can do it. And if it does, t- oh, it has to be no, done Oh, no, by no, 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 no.
2: After Lord of the Rings, I I don't believe that anymore. If you can do Lord of the Rings on a film, you can do any any book. If you it can take The, the right Hobbit and stretch it, I
0: think it into the, 3 movies, the, the fans won't be happy no matter what you do.
2: That that's correct. So the
0: film could be very very good, and I think that the Hitchhiker's Guide movie was actually good but it's just impossible to please the diehard fan base but i think it was it was a good movie for those unfamiliar with it and for those who haven't read it since high school like myself um but i i did listen to the audiobook version a couple years back because the first book is read by stephen fry and that's just like honey in your ear holes <laughs>
2: oh no i can agree with that <laughs> and
0: then and then martin freeman read the subsequent books like restaurant at the end of the universe stuff like that and he was fine but whoever in engineered the audio like the just the volume level was all over the friggin' place and it, my own personal problem as a podcaster you have to worry about these things about having your your audio leveled and normalized and limited and compressed and all that stuff preach sister preach And now now that I am doing VO, that was not part of the joke, but it's even a higher standard because now people are paying me to do this. So I the podcast, theoretically, you can just put out, however, it's not a good idea, but you can do it when you're getting paid for VO. That has to sound crystal clear, but not over messed with, which is my problem. I will just keep hitting effects and stuff until like until it's completely unintelligible.
1: Back to Macy's. <laughs>
0: yeah. Did you think I was going to stay on topic this time? What about our first conversation left you with that impression? Oh, no, I'm fine. This is fine. No,
2: no, no. I, I, I'm fully expecting to end up with docking. Like, when does Santa dock? With the elves. At the end of the parade. That's how it's going to end.
0: <laughs> that I don't have. I did come across uh, very funny little cartoons Uh, basically it's like happy tree friends, but Christmas elves and half the time they have their dick out. So I'll send you that later.
1: If it exists, there's porn for it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade, which initially was just called the Macy's parade and was basically just a giant advertisement for the store and was technically the, uh, the Macy's Christmas parade. Since they were doing it on Thanksgiving, they just gave in to the fact that everyone called it a Thanksgiving parade and rechristened it Thanksgiving parade in the 1930s. Um, it's not always easy walking giant balloons down crowded city streets, particularly with the wind, which you would think, oh, all the tall buildings must block it. No, no. Tall buildings channel wind and can even cause it to get stronger and it has been a major problem and a number of people have been pretty badly hurt. Uh, One woman was even put into a coma in 1997 and this is thought of as probably the most serious incident that occurred of about a dozen or so. Um, 1997 was also, I want to mention, the year that the Barney balloon got out of hand and he developed uh, a tear down its side and they're struggling to get control of it. And a bunch of cops descend on the deflating balloon and start stabbing it What? To make it deflate faster. So, like, the kids watching Barney with his side gashed open crumbling wasn't enough. But now the cops are just stabbing the shit out of Barney. Is there that a YouTube this, video of this? Year. Oh, there must be. Oh, I'm going to look. Go ahead. There must be. Um, so that was nineteen
1: ninety seven. Yeah, I'm looking it up too. Go ahead, keep going.
0: Yeah, well, like, there was one clip that I I couldn't find because Barney
1: balloon death.
0: Yeah, like there was there was one from twenty seventeen. I was reading about of like Matt Lauer doing a really shit job hosting and making a segregation joke to Al Roker, and it had claimed to have a link there, but it was a link to the entire parade video. Like I don't watch it for fun. I'm certainly not going to spool through this looking for this one off-color joke. But, okay, so the culprit in 1997, well, it was the wind. The partial victim in it was the cat in the hat. He's always up to some nonsense or another. But the wind knocked him into a lamppost, and it broke the light post, which landed on four people. And one of those people, uh, the woman had a fractured skull and was in a coma for a month. And uh, she did okay in the long run. She recovered sufficiently and sued Macy's for $395 million, which uh, they settled out of court, I'm sure, for a lesser amount. But ever since that incident, there is now a firm threshold when it comes to the wind speeds that they can take the balloons out in there's a bit of a sliding scale where they will walk the balloons lower as the wind speed gets up and they've got um and um what's it not altimeters anemometer yep they yeah. got anemometers all along the the parade routes so they can keep real time uh, track of the wind speed the hard limit is I think sustained 25 and maybe gusts up to 50. I just had this in my head a little bit ago and I lost it. If you haven't heard the first episode, um, I'm blonde, I'm in menopause, and I've been struck by lightning. So sometimes <laughs> shit's just not there. Just not there. Unlike am like, like your friend who's really bad at telling jokes. He forgot the thing he was supposed to say at the beginning, except with factoids. But uh, yes, they have a hard limit on the wind speed that day. That you can still do the balloons and the wind speed. This particular Thanksgiving Day in 1997 were gusts up to 60 miles an hour. So. And this was in 97. That was in 1997.
2: Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, the Barney balloon right now. Barney balloon death. This is, is insane.
1: Uh, <coughs> These people are like not, I, I, have, I have extraordinary. Yeah, these people are laying on the ground because the Barney balloon is so powerfully, like, just lifting off. They can't control it. His side just rips open, so he's flailing all over the place. There's people, like, laying on the ground, sitting on top of one another to keep from getting lifted off and blown away by Barney. And then Barney's, like, right lower hip just rips out. And now it's now it's falling to the ground. But he's still got a lot of air left in him. So basically at this point, Barney is no longer a blimp. He is a flying sail. And people are just flailing everywhere, and Barney is disintegrating. It's almost to the ground right now. Um, wow! This is like Again. listening
0: to Les Nessman narrate the, the the turkey drop. The, the I was turkey, just thinking turkey that. Turkey drop.
1: Yes, but this. So now, like he's at this point, Barney is he's got no right side left to him, but he still has an inflated head, arms, and legs, and he mm-hmm. still has an inflated Barney butt. Um, I love you. <sighs> you love me. We are a happy family. So it looks like. Uh, Play by play. Go ahead. Take it away, Eric. So the cops are not. You don't want to know what's
2: No, no, no. You don't want to know what I'm thinking. Because it going. looks like a gangbang rape going on right now on Barney. It's a damn shame. Wow. His head's up like he's screaming. Really for he wasn't
1: expecting you to mercy. go there, but um. <laughs> Okay, we so ended the up cops are grabbing it. Now the cops are pulling <laughs> him down bit by bit. Well, yeah, you're they're... not
0: going to blame me for setting a precedent for what you just said. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> <laughs> those two things are entirely unrelated, sir.
2: Oh, that so. The yeah. parade is completely yeah.
1: stopped now, and people are just running up to Barney, grabbing what pieces they can. And I think the cops are beginning <laughs> to stab at it. Yeah, his arms just yeah. flailing away. Like yeah. Barney's, like, please don't stab me, or just, or just end right, it all. Maybe right, that's what it is. Right. Maybe he's and in pain. there. It is. He's begging to be put to an end. Yeah they're, <laughs> yeah, they're just ripping them apart right now. Yeah, they're just they're tearing them apart. It Looks like a bunch of piranhas in a feeding frenzy at this point. Mm-hmm. And there goes the foot and the arm. Wow. This I never knew about this. This is crazy. So,
0: I this wish is, I had yeah, watched this. Live. Yeah,
2: 97. It's not like we were children at that point we would have missed it. Yeah. No.
0: I'm no. I'm sure we've heard about it and then just forgot it. Like because we had um a rudolph balloon a little smaller than the macy's balloons here in i live in richmond virginia and for our annual christmas parade and one year rudolph like snagged on a tree or a uh, street sign or something and then started deflating and got tangled up on traffic lights and oh, it was gorgeous and it was like rankin bass rudolph like baby rudolph so that just made it extra funny
1: Wow, they just decimated Barney. I can just see some kids at home, like, freaking out about this. There's, like, nothing Oh, left. I can imagine
0: someone, some parent has been there on on the street since, like, oh, dark 30 in the morning with <laughs> a little child because this, like, family experience is important and you got to do it. And the kid has been pissed off the entire time. And now he gets to watch Barney be murdered before his eyes. Okay, wow. And, and, then, and the parent is just going to wish... They'd, they'd pulled out, really, or, you know.
1: <laughs> well done. Okay, so a woman was impaled by a street light and sued Macy's. Where do we go from there? <laughs> now that I've just watched Barney be decimated and ripped apart by human, like, these vultures. And it instantly goes right to a video of Kermit Thug Life, which I don't have the vo- volume up for right now.
0: So- well, I mean, there was, there was definitely an incident one year with uh, the Kermit balloon, but it's not on my list for some reason, even though I know that's a thing that happened, this particular list that I'm referencing uh, does also include the Elmo controversy of 2012, uh, wherein people wanted the character of Elmo not to be involved in the Macy's Parade because Kevin Clash, Elmo's puppeteer, had resigned from Sesame Street amidst allegations that he had engaged in sexual relationship with a 16-year-old boy. Uh, Another puppeteer did perform as Elmo, but they had a recorded song, which was still clearly Kevin Clash doing the voice. Wow. I've never heard of that either. I remember the to-do over the allegations. I didn't remember it affecting the parade. But, again, I just don't. I have very little concern or regard for the Macy's parade. But watching it fall apart
1: and disintegrate is a lot of fun.
0: Oh, absolutely. Schadenfreude. Didn't
1: didn't they have an incident? How many balloons have gotten away? Wasn't there a couple of them that at one time or another got away? I know one got away in Detroit for the Detroit parade, from what I remember. Um, Which one yeah, was, I mean, that?
0: this this kind of stuff, um, it's happened since almost the beginning. It, it makes the fact you can understand it like happening in the 20s because we don't know science very well as, as a population. And OSHA just wasn't a thing yet. So you think, mm-hmm. oh, OK, well, they'll, they'll obviously be reckless and stupid back in the 20s because they had a uh, Felix the Cat who debuted that year. It was the actually the very first giant balloon for the Macy's parade, but he got hung up on some telephone wires and burst into flames.
1: Were they filled with hydrogen back then? They weren't using
0: hot air yet, were they? I'd have to I'd have to look and see when they made the changeover. I think if he I think if he was full of uh, of hydrogen, it would have been a bigger story.
1: Yeah, because I get an image of the Hindenburg just like crashing into the street, except for it's a parade float just you know which is what i was thinking when barney was going down i was hearing the Hindenburg voice in my head go figure yeah so
0: <laughs> there have been a lot of incidents in uh in 1993 uh the wind caused caused a sonic the hedgehog to smash into a lamp post which injured a 10 uh, year old girl and an off-duty police officer Aww. though thankfully not not too seriously, Uh, not like the woman who was in the coma. In 2005, there was a balloon of, there was a Macy's balloon in the shape of a hot air balloon, but does that actually make it a hot air balloon? I don't know. But it had uh, the red and yellow Eminem spokes characters on it, but it got away from them and it got caught on something and it ended up injuring uh, a girl and a woman. Again, thankfully, not too badly, but that incident has just like in 1997, where for 1998, they put those wind limits uh, in place. More rules were put in place after the 2005 M&M incident, where the balloons are now subjected to more, you know, real-life field testing. And, uh, and then there was another reinforcement of the wind guidelines.
1: God, it would suck to be one of these people pulling these balloons down the street, because you know they damn near lift you off the ground.
0: Yeah, and if it starts going... You're going you are can with do it. fuck all about it.
1: Yeah, you're going with it. But man. I think
0: the most amazing story is, is from way back uh, in the day from 1932. Macy's thought it would be a good idea to, after the parade is concluded and everybody has seen the giant balloons and they serve no purpose any longer, just let them go. Just they they thought it would be a good idea to release the magic balloons and uh, the, the massive, I'm not my, I don't magic, to release these massive balloons. And because, you know, capitalism, they, they announced that whoever found one of the balloons later would win a cash prize. Great. Well, what happened was a student pilot named Annette Gibson tried to recover the Tomcat character balloon by flying her plane into it. Oh, ooh. Yes, no bueno, no bueno. The result was that the balloon got caught in the plane's wings and Gibson nearly fucking crashed. Thankfully, she still had an instructor with her on that flight, who, where were you when she was aiming toward the balloon? But he managed to regain control of the aircraft at that point and landed safely. And thereupon, Maisies stopped letting the balloons free at the end of the parade. Yeah. Well, back- so at least they learned her lessons. You got to give them that.
2: Well, has any balloon not been found?
0: I don't know if, if any of the ones from back then.
2: I'm just wondering Maybe if there's still some out there, still hung in the trees, oh, come on, and really? <laughs> somewhere.
0: <laughs> really? <laughs> I there Really? No, there could you know, depending, be just the right conditions where if one got crammed in a crag or right. Is a, there some underwater like cave or something. Or some
2: Popeye just flailing around at the top of some trees.
0: <laughs> See, I think they would have been made of more natural materials, so they probably would be more degraded than the balloons we're using now. But I am pulling that directly out of my ass. So... Don't quote me on that. I'm not I'm not exactly like a materials science, scientist or anything, you know. Just speculating. We're coming up
1: on the hour, Mark, unless you've got a couple of more stories aren't, that you'd like to tell.
0: I think a woman deliberately flying her plane into a Macy's balloon is a pretty good one. But I do want to recommend your gentle listener uh, also look into the United Way balloon incident. Uh, this happened in Ohio, and I always... If I if it's Cleveland, I always say Cincinnati. If it's Cincinnati, I always say Cleveland. This has been a long time problem for me, um, but as a big, United Way is a large charity uh, with many nice smaller baby. charities under its umbrella, and they thought it would be a really great big public event and fundraiser to do the largest balloon release ever. You know, set the world record for it. Oh, this was back yeah. in the mid eighties. Yeah, yeah. Back when we we thought that that was okay. Yeah where we didn't know we were killing, because I think everybody, uh, I'm I'm 41, just go ahead and say it. Uh, and folks around my age should remember like at one point in school, having an assignment of like writing something and attaching it to a balloon and letting it go and seeing if you ever hear back from anyone. Well, thankfully we don't do that en masse anymore. But yeah, so the United Way of Cleveland thought it would be a really keen idea to release one and a half million balloons. This was not a good idea at all and actually resulted in two deaths. But I'll let your listener research that one
1: all on their own. Yeah, that was crazy. I remember...
2: Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. There's a whole Wikipedia article on it.
0: Yeah. Oh, there are many. And there's a really funny, um, weird history uh, kind of YouTube channel I've started watching. I think you pronounce it Quixir or It's Q-X-I-R. And if you hear a Dublin accent and see crudely drawn cartoons, you'll know you found the right guy. And he did a video about... What's called Balloon Fest 86. That's uh, his channel's real good, especially if you like listening to Irish accents.
1: That was a crazy incident, man, because it did a lot of bad stuff.
0: Very bad stuff. It prevented the Coast Guard from affecting a rescue out on the lake. And that's how two people died because of just fucking balloons fucking everywhere. Yeah.
1: Go look this up because it's wild. It's, yeah. it's like it's this Balloon massive Fest net 86. full of balloons. Yeah. So uh, you have a book out and you have a podcast. Go ahead and promote what you want to promote now if you want to.
0: Well, both of them are titled Your Brain on Facts. If you choose to get the book for someone for Christmas, and it does make a lovely gift. And it's a great bathroom reader, by the way. Uh, it is, of course, available on Amazon. But if you were to look for it on bookshop.org, you can actually buy through that website from a local bookseller. That way you're still supporting a local business. And I definitely advocate everyone doing that. And uh, as I mentioned before, that might've sounded like I was kidding. I am available for voiceover work. And you gotta say to yourself, well, I don't need a massive TV commercial voice or anything. It could be a social media post. It could be the phone system for your office. Could be just, you want me to leave weird facts on somebody's voicemail. Get me a moxie <laughs> at yourbrainonfacts.com.
1: Do you have a lot of people that do that that bug you to do things like that?
0: Not yet, but hopefully. <laughs> I was actually I was actually thinking of signing up for Cameo, which is this service where you can like pay celebrities to record a little message for somebody. Mm-hmm. And uh, naturally there's a pretty wide scale of the costs involved because there are some some decent named celebrities on there and then there's, you know, piss-ant people like me. But I thought I'd be on there cuz I did have um one person who contacted me about uh, doing the phone menus for his business and his partner didn't want to go for that but then he wanted me just to record a weird fact for his outgoing voicemail message uh, sadly the email thread petered out as they sometimes do but like sure if that's if you want me introing my podcast on your voicemail well, okay
1: yeah well you've got the voice for it so that's not that Thank that's you. that's not that unsurprising Thank you for coming on here and bringing us weird facts and strange information, as you always do, derailing the show in many interesting and unusual ways. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Do go out and listen to the podcast, Your Brain on Facts. I myself am hooked on it. I listen to it all the time. The Halloween episode was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. Um, Ironically, on my other podcast, we are getting ready to do a history of bourbon and uh, alcohol and brewing, how it played an important role in America's history. So your episode that you did on spirits is kind of like, wow, this is very strange that it falls in the same line as we're getting ready to do this ourselves. But, um, yeah, thank you for coming on here and talking to us. It's always a blast talking to you. It's always a lot of fun. Thank you for being here. I
0: love it every time.
3: When I was 12 years old, I saw something in the sky I couldn't explain. And I've been searching for answers ever since. And I'm inviting you on that search with me every week on the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. With special guest interviews, case history, and audio docs, we ask the tough questions when it comes to UFOs, the paranormal, and the unexplained. New episodes drop every Monday through the E1 Podcast Network. Available wherever you get your podcasts and at somewhereintheskies.com.
1: And that concludes this year's Thanksgiving special. Special guest Moxie Lebeau and my friend Eric Wojciechowski. Do check out her show, Your Brain on Facts. It is a fun, quirky Neat little show. Um, if you're into just strange you know, informational stuff, she's where you want to go. I love her show. I listen to it as much as I possibly can. I find myself listening to it at work or when I'm playing video games. And my boy Eric, he has several books out there, Chasing Disclosure and Chasing Magic, which are two great fictional. I'm not just saying that he's my friend. They really are good books. Two fictional stories of uh, dealing with um, people who had UFO experiences and chasing, you know, trying to find the truth or what have you. Both books are available on Amazon for about 3 dollars They're not very expensive. You can get them on the Kindle do do check them out. Um, He's a great guy. He's a really good writer I really enjoy having him around So, having said that, I do have another podcast, as I mentioned earlier. I don't know if you guys have heard me talk about this before or not. It's called Old Nerds Drinking. It is not my show. It is my friend John's show, and he produces it, records it, engineers it. He does all the knob-turning and stuff behind the scenes. I more or less just show up to try to derail the show. It covers um, all things drinking, alcohol, nerd-related, Star Trek, Star Wars, comic books, um, you know, Firefly, uh, Battlestar Galactica, role-playing games, video games, anything that is nerdy out there that has to do with sitting around and drinking. The whole concept for the show came up over the last summer when quarantine was going on and everything was shut down with COVID. It was like, well, let's just meet up in my backyard and we'll have a fire once a week and just sit around and, you know, bullshit for the most part and keep our distance from one another. And we're all hermits. We really don't go anywhere or do anything for the most part. I go out and ride my motorcycle in the summertime and go out into the countryside. That's about really all I do. So, and my other buddies, that's pretty much the same thing. They're all nerds. We all just sit around the house playing video games or doing whatever the heck it is we do. So um, we would sit around the fire, and we would all get buzzed, and we would have these great conversations, and it turned into, we need to start recording this stuff. And that's how Old Nerds Drinking was born. We have a Facebook page. It was the former page for my defunct podcast of a similar nature called The Ether. We just switched it over to Old Nerds Drinking, and now it's turned into a meme fest. It's a lot of fun. It's a very active page. I'm very proud of how far it's come along. Any place you found this podcast, you can find Old Nerds Drinking. We're getting ready to drop episode number four, which is a history of how alcohol helped shape the formation of America, a little bit on bourbon, all of those kinds of things. And uh, we'll probably have some geekery in there as well. Next week, we're going to be touching back on the topic of paranormal a little bit more. I've got my friend Ashira coming on here. She's a she's a pretty well-known paranormal investigator. She goes under a pseudonym now. But um, we're going to be taking a look at the strange region in Kentucky, around, that area, around the Hillier area, that is known as the Penny Royal. And uh, we have a gentleman coming on the show that's got one hell of a story to tell, so much so that I'm really not even sure where we're going to start to get into this thing. It's going to be a really interesting and fun episode. Um, go check out the Penny Royal podcast and then come back here and listen to the next episode that we're going to do. My friend Ash has got a crap ton of questions and we're going to jump into this thing pretty hard and it'll be a lot of fun. So uh, until next week, this is Rogan. Peace out from Detroit. We're going to close the show out with William Shatner singing about deep fried turkey. <laughs> Peace, folks. See you soon.
3: I want your comments on it. I want to know how you plan to keep yourself, your family, and me safe from turkey fryer fire. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moister, tastier turkey. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moister, tastier turkey. It started as a hunger. I was young and arrogant. I was young and arrogant. Blinded by my hunger, I ignored safety. I want a deep fried Fried turkey. I want a moister, tastier turkey. I want a deep-fried turkey. I want a moister, tastier turkey. When I laid my hands on that fryer, I didn't want to let go and go. Back then, everyone was doing it. Everyone was. I once loved this piece of metal. Keep yourself, your family, and me me safe from turkey fryer fires. So dangerous you can't even imagine. Fried turkey tastes great. It's a great taste. I love fried turkey. Fried, fried turkey. What did you got to do, say? Pop, pop. The tingle Dingle, dangle, dingle, dangle. Pop, pop. The the tingle dangle. Hot oil. Wet frozen turkey. Push together, make steam. Push together, make steam. Pushing the hot oil. Flame. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moisture tastier turkey. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a moisture tastier turkey. Blinded by my hunger. I ignored safety I ignored safety. Spat in the face of science. Turn off the flame. Turn off the flame. Oh, I can't punish it! What am I doing? Oh, 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 Oh look at this! Yourself, your family, and me. me safe from turkey fryer fires. So dangerous, so deep, and you can't even imagine. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a boister tasty turkey. I want a deep fried turkey. I want a boister tasty turkey. That fryer took so much from age, from age, from age. But it gave me a healthy fear, 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 fear. Fire, metal are glorious when in harmony but their power is unlimited in careless hands